Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC 267 is upon us. It is finally here after a couple of lackluster cards in a row. We have absolute bangers at the top of this one, including two title fights. The 205-pound title and the 135-pound interim title are both on the line. We'll be breaking down those fights as well as one of our other favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you our favorite underdog in a parlay that'll get you plus money and make that wallet fat. Plus, as always, I'm giving you guys the interviews you come to know and love. This week, I'm talking to Andre Petrovsky, who is heading to Fight Island on short notice to get his second UFC fight, and Benoit Saint-Denis before his debut. You're going to enjoy listening to what this Frenchman had to say. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can catch my bonus pick, which is only available on the Top Turtle MMA page at Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready, the fighters are ready, listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me now is Andre Petrovsky, who fights Yao Zong Hu at UFC 267. That is live from Fight Island in Abu Dhabi on October 30th. So, Andre, I want to start here because, you know, your last fight, and we talked just before your last fight, we, your last fight was very, very short notice. Here you are again turning around for short notice to fight, not only on short notice, but halfway across the world. Do you feel slighted a little bit by the fact that you're you're not getting a full training camp yet again? No, um, no. Nah, I mean, I'm just grateful to fight before the end of the year. I was trying to get a fight booked, and I couldn't really get. Um, I wasn't really getting any. They were telling me January. They wanted me to wait till January. So I'm just happy I could get another fight in. You know, this is how I make a living. So it's what I love to do. And, and I'm just curious, too, because obviously, you know, your first fight was only on, you know, a, few, a week's notice, if, if even that. This one, you got a little bit more notice, but the travel is in, incredible. Have you been just running around like crazy trying to get everything in order so that you can get out of there and, and make it to fight day? Yeah, I mean, but that's how usually all fight weeks are, you know, um, aside from like Ultimate Fighter. That's how I... It's even worse when you fight, like, when I was fighting on the regional circuit, it was even worse. I mean, aside from having to travel, obviously travel sucks, but, I mean, there's benefits to both. For sure. Fighting in your hometown is worse. So, so out of curiosity, why why do you say that? Why why do you say fighting in your hometown is worse than fighting halfway across the globe? It's just more like, like, obviously it's nice because you get to sleep in your bed. You're in bed, you wake up, you go to the fight, like, that's cool. But there's also a lot more other shit you got to deal with, like, with 
with your family, your friends that want to come, the ticket sales, like, I would sell, like, a shit ton of tickets when I fought regionally, and that shit gets stressful. Everyone kind of, like, wants to wait till last minute. It's just a nightmare. So I'm happy. When, when Anytime you fight, like, in someone else's hometown, that pressure is kind of off you. That, that makes a lot of sense. And now, so going into your second fight here, do you feel like, I mean, not that there was loads of pressure on you in the first one, but do you feel like there's less pressure on you than there was in your, in your UFC debut? Um, I don't know. I don't really think about it like, like that, to be honest. Like, I try to just go out and just fight. I don't know. <laughs> well, I do like that mentality, but... Uh, what, what I obviously want to know too is, is so, you know, we're obviously talking a bunch about Fight Island. There have been a whole bunch of fights out there. You've, you've likely seen them. You've likely had training partners or people, you know, fighting out there. What are sort of your thoughts on getting a chance to go to this place that has sort of been built up as this, you know, mythical oasis of, of places to fight? That's a great way to put it. Um, and that's exactly how I really like (laughs) this mythical place that, cause that's exactly what I thought it was. Like I came up listening to Joe Rogan talk about Dubai and how there's abandoned Ferraris everywhere. And I was like, Holy shit, this place is crazy. And they're like, yeah, this is, you know, the oil money, blah, blah, blah. everything we've heard. Like, so, I mean, I always was like, fuck yeah, I want to go here one day, you know? So even before you were on the Ultimate Fighter, you had, had thought about, you know, wanting to be on Fight Island, wanting to have a fight out there. You you had seen that as a uh, something that you were hoping for one day? Before Fight Island was ever even a thing, I wanted to go to Dubai and see what it was like. Well, Whether now, it was a fight or not. Well, well, now you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting a, you're getting paid <laughs> and, and you're going to Dubai. So that, that's got to be a good right. feeling. Right. I hope we can, uh, you know, see a little bit while we're there. For sure. For sure. Now, I want to go back and ask you a little bit about your your UFC debut before we get into the next fight. Because you fought Michael Gilmore, and and a lot of people saw him on the Ultimate Fighter for just a really abbreviated amount of time. And and felt like, you know, maybe he didn't belong there, or maybe you were going to just absolutely run through him. And, And he wound up giving you a pretty good fight. He wound up being a very game opponent which obviously, you know, eventually could not handle what you were doing on the ground in your ground and pound. But, like, were you a little bit surprised in what you saw of him, or was that sort of what you expected based on what you had seen of him on the Ultimate Fighter? Um, no. Uh, pretty much what I expected. I mean, I knew that there was going to be an opportunity to finish very early on in the fight, which there was. I had his back at the uh, around, like, four minutes, I think. And I ended up not finishing it, you know, so good for him, you know, defending that position. But, uh, I, I also knew that like, he knew me like the back of his hands just because he knew everything. He was my partner. He was like the dummy for me. So everything that I'm good at, I worked on him for like weeks leading up to the Brian battle fight. Whereas yeah. when it was his turn to fight, I was his dummy for him for like one day. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that makes. He came on. Yeah, he came on last minute, and they're like, "Hey, you're fighting tomorrow." So 
stop. Like, I mean, uh, Henner and all them, those guys ran through everything in the game plan with him real quick. And I was that dummy, but that was for like one day. He was my practice partner for like the next two weeks. And so, so I assume that that felt frustrating to you then too, that he seemed to know, you know, little intricacies in your game. Uh, did it feel good when you, you know, obviously it feels good to get your first UFC win. So that's a dumb question. But did, was it even more gratifying then that you were able to not just quell that, but, but overcome it in an emphatic way? I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's a further reminder, but like, I mean, that's every day in practice, every day, like guys know what I do. You know what I mean? Like you, there's, 20, there's 10 fights online you can watch right now. Like, guys know what I do. I shoot single legs. You know, I fire left hand. Like, guys know what I do, you know? You know what Khabib's going to do when he fights. You know what I mean? It, it's another thing stopping it. And is, is that somebody who you, you take a, a lot of, you know, a lot of inspiration from? You, you mentioned Habib. We know what he's going to do. You just plan on being the best to do it. Is that sort of the, the game plan and the mindset that you carry into every single fight? And and if so, do you feel like some of that came from watching people like him? Or does it come from guys in your camp, too? Like I mean, like obviously, Sean Brady is another guy who fights with a very similar style. Where, yeah. where do you find that inspiration? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, Sean Brady is a nightmare. You know, I mean, that, that kid is a stud. I think he uh, is going to do special things. Uh, and just like just training with them has been definitely eye opening. You know, I've been everywhere, man. I've been, I was at Stanford, I was at Stanford, I was at Top Team, I was at Factory X. Like I'm telling you, no one's grappling compares to this kid. And uh, you know, yeah, like I, I've I watch and I study all the good grapplers, like all the good fighters, really in general, but especially the grapplers, the Damian Myers the jiu-jitsu guys, Ben Askren, Khabib, like, geez, all the best grapplers I study, like, you know what I mean? So Khabib, I, yeah, Khabib's one of the best, and, and I, I watch him for sure. Well, I, I love that you're a student of the game and that you see things like that. Now, I want to ask you one more question about that because, you know, a lot of people, when they get into MMA, they see the flashy knockouts. They see, you know, Rampage slam somebody on their head, or they see – you know, Anderson Silva front kick somebody in the face. And they say, I, I want to be that, right? Like, I want to be the guy who separates somebody from consciousness. Did you always know that, like, this was, when, when you got into MMA, that this was the style that you loved? Or how, how did you sort of find that you wanted to be the guy who, who shot takedowns like GSP or, or held people down like Habib or submitted people like Demi and Maya? Um, Fuck, man. I just see, like, where my abilities are compared to, like, the rest of the country. Like I said, like, I just traveled the country. I was at Top Team. I was at Stanford. In the past two years, I've been at all these gyms. Like, I know what I'm good at, you know what I mean? And I know how it compares to the rest of the country. Um, you know, I can strike, too, though. Like, I've, I don't think I've been outstruck in, in my fights, you know? For sure. I, I definitely agree. Now, I, I want to get to talking about this fight, too, because – you know, you mentioned you're on, you're out there. There's 10 of your fights that we can see pretty much at any time. You know, you could look you up on YouTube yeah. or Fight Pass or anywhere you, you, you usually watch fights. You're out there. You're fighting a guy who's not easy to get a ton of film on. Yao Zong Hu, he's got two UFC fights. One of them ended fairly quickly. 
neither of them were in the weight class that you guys are contracted to fight at. This one's at 185. He had fought at heavyweight and light heavyweight. What is it sort of like being, again, uh, the guy who's kind of in the dark on your opponent, a, a guy who you don't know too much about? Uh, um, to be honest, I haven't looked at him yet. Um, and I will, because like, I, I am a student and I, and I will look at him, but I was, I kind of wanted to do it with my coaches. Um, but like at the end of the day, like I trust my coaches and, uh, you know, they've been in this game a long time and, uh, you know, they're excited about the matchup. I'm excited about the matchup. Um, but like, like I said, like at the end of the day, like it's just a fight. I'm gonna show up, you know, and and, and try to uh, try to take this dude's head off. Like that's just what it is. I, I'm, I'm not gonna build it up to be some crazy thing, you know. That well, we're looking forward to you looking to take somebody's head off once again. Once again, fans, this is Andre Petrosky who fights. Yao Zong Hu at UFC 267. That is on Fight Island on October 30th. Andre, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Andre Petrosky. I, once again, am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's kick it off here. Obviously, we've got big fights coming up this weekend, but I want to start by talking about last weekend. Paulo Costa shows up at Fight Week heavy, admits he's heavy, admits he's not going to try to lose weight. It was crazy, and now that it's all over and he's lost... What do you make of all of this? You know, if I'm Paula Costa's agent, we got to reel it in here a little bit because he had the title fight with Izzy Adesanya, loses, gets dry humped, then blames it on drinking wine the night before. Not a great look. Not the dry humping. That wasn't his fault. That was Izzy being Izzy. But to blame the loss on wine got some negative attention. And then to come into this fight, not five pounds over, not 10 pounds over, 20 five pounds over and then not even make the UFC's concession weight on top of that. This is not good, man. Like the, the window of being an elite fighter is small enough. The window of being someone the UFC wants to market and push is even smaller. And I don't know if you saw this, if we could talk about another current event that sort of ties into this in a way, Nate Diaz has one fight left on his contract. Dana White's already playing that negotiator game and doing it poorly, in my opinion, by saying, oh, I don't know if Nate Diaz wants to fight the, the top five fighters. I don't know if Nate Diaz could fight the top five fighters. And there are other companies out there that just want to pay money. So if Nate Diaz wants to earn money but not fight the top five fighters, he should go elsewhere. That is the most insane thing I've ever heard. So you've just admitted that you have the best fighters on the planet, but you don't pay the best in tandem with that. Very stupid. And also, why wouldn't Nate Diaz want to go get paid the most he can in a sport that's grueling on your body and you have a short window? So to tie it back to Paulo Costa, bro, you have a limited amount of time to make that money. Don't do this. Move up to 205 or take your career seriously. The whole thing just kind of annoys me. Do do you think I, I had this feeling during fight week, too, that he almost seemed to be doing it as like a marketing scheme too like i don't think it was a good one or an effective one but it almost seemed like he was doing it to draw attention to himself like he saw nick diaz do it and he's like oh nick diaz has got a bunch of fans like i i could i could have fans too if i came in out of shape and said i was drunk or something like that and like i don't know 100 percent that that's true but like if you follow him on social media he also seems to be like looking for attention that way too so like 
maybe it is just that, but if it is, I, I'm, I agree with you 100%. Like, the agent has to step in and be like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, because, you know, the problem, and there is something to that. I think you bring up a great point, which is like, you know, I love this, again, with Dana White. Uh, Nick Diaz comes in, loses to 0-4 in his last four fights, 39-year-old Robbie Lawler. Um, looked like he didn't want to be there, looked slow as molasses, but the YouTube views were up the entire week for Embedded, and Dana White, after the fight, was like, I thought Nick looked good in there. I wouldn't mind seeing him again. Of course Dana White, the promoter, says that because he's bringing eyeballs and he has a ton of fans and controversy creates cash. We know that. But if I was ever going to advise someone on how there's like good controversy and bad controversy, especially when it comes to the behemoth that is the UFC in 2021, be John Jones. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Never be John Jones, actually. But if you want to cause controversy, cause controversy while reeling off win after win after win. Or be Nick Diaz in his prime. Uh, but don't do this because you're 0-2 in your last two fights and you miss weight, which does not make a promoter happy. And you're going to find yourself out of the UFC if it keeps up. Yeah, I would also say this too. The thing about, and I'm glad you brought up John Jones because it's, it's another nice dovetail here with Nick Diaz. All of this shit that both of those two guys did, it was after their fan base was like well-established and they were huge draws. You know, that, that just shows us that like, once fighters have a large base of fans, they're not going anywhere. Um, they're they're going to be behind that fighter, or that fighter's going to have that hype behind him. It's not like Paulo Costa was big, though. You're you're right when you said he could just be fired tomorrow. And, like, don't get me wrong, Bellator or PFL would probably snatch him up, albeit probably not if he keeps talking about getting drunk before fights. But, like, one of those two would probably snatch him up and put him up in there again with Yoel Romero or, or you know, put him in there with Antonio Carlos Jr., who's fighting for a million bucks. Like, either of those guys, like, would be opponents for Paulo Costa. But, like, he's not that big that he can just do this and keep his whole fan base. Agreed, bro. Agreed. Let's move on to happier times. We got a great fight card this week. It's been over a month. Uh, since the last big numbered UFC, and this is a numbered UFC, UFC 267, uh, but it's not going to be on pay-per-view, which I guess is good for you know people who don't want to shell out the envelope for it. It's this coming Saturday. It's Glover versus Blankowitz for the title. Uh, you also have Piotr Jan, Corey Sanhagen for an interim title, which really should probably be the regular title, but we'll get into that. Gumby, let's do it. Let's break it down. It's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. For UFC 267, free, numbered, non-pay-per-view, quote-unquote pay-per-view, the first one since 2011, that'll be a numbered event, but not on pay-per-view. Does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Get rid of that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. What a main event for the light heavyweight title. Uh, Blankovitz is the minus 290 favorite. Glover, an old dog, a big dog, a plus 225. Uh, both these guys have really earned the respect of the hardcore fan because we witnessed both their kind of rise and also in Glover's case, a fall and then rise again. And really you could say the same for Blankovic. I mean, he was a 
middling fighter into 2017. Uh, back-to-back losses to Alexander Gustafsson, Patrick Cummings, reeled off four wins in a row, then ran into Tiago Santos and got TKO'd. That was back in February of 2019, and I think if you told people that he would be a future champion after that loss, they'd say, hey, you're crazy, pal. But he comes back, KOs the model, Luke Rockhold, takes a split decision win over Jacare Souza, KOs Corey Anderson, and then TKOs Dominic Reyes to win the vacant UFC light heavyweight title, defends against Izzy Adesanya this past March, coming up in weight, and now fighting someone who's been really at this point because you know, Rumble left, right? And DC retired and moved to heavyweight. And John Jones has had several, I don't even know what you call them, nights in jail and run-ins with the law. Glover has really been going back now to uh, a guy who made his UC debut in the year 2012, has really been the light heavyweight division stalwart. And he fought John Jones all the way back in 2014 and lost very badly for the UFC title. Then he lost to Phil Davis. He was on back-to-back losing losses. Uh, reeled off three wins, ran into an uppercut from Anthony Rumble Johnson that almost sent him straight to the underworld. Came back, beat Jared Cannonier, lost to Alexander Gustafsson. Came back, beat Misha Serkinov, took a split decision loss, or sorry, a unanimous decision loss to Corey Anderson back in July of 2018, and now reels off five wins in a row to earn the title shot at age 41, the submission specialist. It's his last chance. He's a plus 225 dog. I know you're going to pick Blankowitz. Let's hear <laughs> how Glover wins, and obviously it involves getting it to the ground. Your breakdown. Yeah, for me, uh, the the big thing for Glover here, if he does want to win this fight, is he's got to make the standing exchanges exist in the clinch. The longer this is at distance, the more of an issue this is going to be for him. Um, if this stays, you know, not I, I'm even talking like single, single collar ties that probably do him really well. But the longer this stays at the distance, the more it winds up looking like the Alexander Gustafson fight where he gets uppercut like three times into oblivion and knocked out clean. Uh, because l- let's face it, Jan Blankovic has got the hands. And it, if he keeps it in in dirty boxing range, he makes a little bit of a clinch battle and stuff. I think that's where he'll find the takedowns, right? Like that's where he can transition to a double leg, to some sort of trip, to, you know, just getting Jan Blankovic off balance enough so that, you know, maybe Jan doesn't get to land that big bomb. The, the only problem I have with this is that, like, I, I think it's going to be really difficult for him to do that. I also think Jan is a better wrestler than people give credit for. I mean, like, we just watched him, and, you know, after going toe-to-toe on the feet with Israel Adesanya for 15 minutes, he then busted out his wrestling chops, which looked pretty damn good. You know, for, you know, Israel Adesanya has stuffed a lot of dudes on his takedowns, but not Jan Blankovic. So, yeah, like, I mean, Jan has had suspect takedown defense in there at some point. Like, you know, I mentioned Alexander Gustafsson, who who did take Jan Blankovic down a bunch of times and won that way. But I, I don't think it's there anymore. And I think in order for Glover to win this fight, he, he's going to have to mix it up a little bit with Jan Blankovic and come out successfully. And I just don't see it happening. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Jan Blankovic here. It saddens me to say because it would be a hell of a story for Glover Teixeira. Uh, we're talking Disney movie if Glover if Glover pulls off this win at age 41. I agree completely with your breakdown. Uh, where I like this from gambling, and I'm a huge, as we all know, Glover Teixeira mark, uh, but 
it has to go to the ground. I see it more on the Alexander Gustafsson side of things. If it is at range, just like you said, I favor Blankovitz, and I favor the under here for either fighter. I think if this is a stand-em-up affair where Blankovitz could pick him apart at distance, this might be done before round two and a half. So, you know, under three rounds, I would get in on that action. The other thing I really like is if it were to go to the ground and Glover gets it to the ground early, makes it a dogfight, is able to pull off a sub, he's betting off at a plus 700, so 7 to 1 odds for a sub. Listen, that's not going to be the worst $25 you ever spent in your life. Come back with a three-figure return, you know, not bad at 7 to 1. We'll move on then. Very exciting fight at 135. Before we get to it, it's it's almost too comical not to bring up how we came to this point with Piotr Jan and Corey Sanhagen. I put this on our Twitter many months back at Top Turtle MMA, but just listen to this and let's all LOL a little bit. TJ Dillashaw was the champion at uh, 135, thought to be one of the best ever at that weight class, popped for the steroids. How unfortunate back in March of 2019. Who steps in but uh, Olympic wrestler Henry Cejudo he beats Marlon Moraes for the vacant title. All looks right in the world. He beats Dominic Cruz, another goat of the division. Hey, we have our new ourselves a new division champion and stalwart and someone who's going to reel off a GSP-type run and just own the division. He is 135. Nope. He's going to retire in May of 2020. So Piotr Jan's going to be Jose Aldo, who's really more known as a 145-er, and he's going to become the champion. Piotr Jan is never going to defend that title. He's going to fight Aljamain Sterling, look to be winning, and knee him in the head illegally. And Aljamain Sterling is going to be unable to continue after that infraction. And he's going to win the title on that. And he's going to gain a lot of social media haters in the process. So what does the UFC do? They do the right thing. For once, we all hate the instant rematch. But if there was ever a fight that needed an instant rematch, it's that. And what happens? Aljamain hurts his back. So now, Piotr Jan is fighting Corey Sandhagen, who's coming off a loss to the man who kicked off this hot potato. He just lost to TJ Dillashaw, albeit in an amazing five-round split decision uh, win for Dillashaw. Uh, but Sandhagen's ready to go here. He's more than deserving of the shot. And to be quite honest, you know, the MMA rules might need to change. Jan's infraction, while being up on certain scorecards, I don't know that he ever necessarily should have lost the title. Maybe that's more of a no contest situation. Maybe he should have lost it, but Sterling shouldn't have won it. It was controversial to say the least. I actually feel like the two right people are fighting for the title right now, uh, which is Piotr Jan and Corey Sanhagen. Sanhagen, in every fight he's going to do at 135, is going to have the reach advantage. He's very tall, rangy. Uh, the other thing is we saw him, uh, knee, knee to the face KO, our boy, Frankie Edgar. He's very versatile. If it hits the ground, he's good there too. Who do you have in this fight? It is one of the more exciting fights we've seen in recent, uh, memory. Jan, by the way, a minus 265 favorite. Sanhagen, the plus 210 dog. Your call. I- I'm going with the favorite again. I'm going with Piotr Jan. And the reason is, is, you know, I, I really think that Corey Sanhagen stepped it up quite a bit in his takedown defenses last time out. He, he looked quite a bit better against TJ Dillashaw. There's just a lot of questions I have about his takedown defense. You know, like, 
I mean, he probably would have lost a lot worse to TJ Dillashaw had he not, you know, pseudo heel hooked TJ Dillashaw in that. I believe it was the second round of that fight and, and tore TJ's Dillashaw's knee apart. As a matter of fact, he wouldn't be in this fight if he didn't do that. Um, but, you know, like I think ultimately, you know, even if you go back to the Aljamain Sterling loss for Corey Sanding, and it was the takedown defense and the grappling defense that sort of served him wrong. And, and look, Piotr Jan, completely different animal when it comes to grappling. The, the, the trips he was hitting on Aljo just seemed mean. And Aljo is an incredible wrestler. So, while I respect Corey Sanhagen, I think he could definitely make this interesting if he keeps it on the feet. You know, he's clearly got knockout power as what he did to Marlon Marias, to what he did to Frankie Edgar. You know, like he's got it. I'm just worried he's going to wind up on his back for a lot of this fight. So for that reason, I'm going to take Piotr Jan. Um, although, again, you know, you said it with the Glover Teixeira prop. If you find that Corey Sanhagen knockout prop, I feel like that's probably where he's going to have to win this. Yep, not a bad one to play. Another exciting fight here, and I agree with you completely on that breakdown. Islam Makiachev is a minus 650 favorite to Dan Hooker, a plus 440 dog. This, of course, is supposed to be Makiachev against RDA. RDA came up uh, lame with an injury. Uh, Makiachev, you know, we talked a, a little bit earlier about a guy like Glover Teixeira and his rise, fall, and rise again. Uh, same thing with uh, Blankovic. And Makiachev started his UFC career at 1-1. One and one. Okay, going into 2016, he was a one-and-one fighter and has since reeled off eight wins in a row, surging towards the title shot, and he's going to run into Dan Hooker, who's one-and-two in his last three, uh, beat Nasser at Hopcrest uh, via unanimous decision, but lost via TKO to debuting Michael Chandler, and lost via unanimous decision to Dustin Poirier before that. Hooker does have some dynamite in his hands. He's always a dangerous fighter here, but Makichev just looks like he's putting everything together and just peaking at the right time. He's a very solid favorite here at minus 650, so I assume you will be taking him, as is everyone and their mother. Curious, the path to victory for Dan Hooker. Who you got? I mean, Dan Hooker's wrestling has to hold up. That's the big thing. And as a matter of fact, in his last fight, you know, the fight that happened, I mean, feels like it was only a couple of weeks ago at this point, right? And, like, he showed... He has incredible wrestling and maybe super underrated wrestling um, offensively. Now, I, I don't know if he's had that in his back pocket the whole time and just never bothered to dig it out or if this is a new improvement. And if it is a new improvement, perhaps his wrestling defense has also increased. Because really in this division, in order to have a good run to the top, you've got to have good wrestling defense, right? Charles Oliveira's up there. Dustin Poirier's up there. You know, Michael Chandler's up there. Not that Justin Gaethje wants to box you, but Justin Gaethje's up there. And now Islam Makachev is up there. So maybe if he did work on his wrestling and can stuff a few takedowns from Makachev, he can have success on the feet. He is a really great boxer and probably a much better boxer than Islam Makachev. But kind of like the other ones, while I think that there's a path to victory there, I just don't think that that path is very wide. Uh, I, I think Islam Makachev takes this pretty easily just with you know, 100,000 takedowns, and Dan Hooker being as, as tough as he is probably lasts the distance, but yeah, I'm going to take Makachev here. Uh, fair enough. Our dog of the week is Benoit St. Denis, uh, uh, plus 175. Why do we like him? So I like Benoit St. Denis for a couple of reasons. So he comes to us by uh, Brave FC, or CF rather, uh, out of the Middle East, which is a, a promotion that I, I don't think it gets enough hype because they've been churning out some really great stars, including fighting on this card, Kamzat Shemaev, who, who we didn't even really get a chance to talk about because uh, he's fighting Li Jingliang uh, earlier on in the card. 
but Benoit Saint Denis comes to us from eight at eight and zero with really good takedowns and really good grappling, and he's fighting Elijah Zaleski dos Santos, who once we thought to be this like big up and comer in the division. And he's kind of shown that he's susceptible to losing to really good grapplers. I mean, he had some guy come up a weight class and Luigi Vendermini take his back. I think Benoit Saint-Denis has got what it takes to take him down. I, I think the only reason he probably comes in as an underdog is that he's new and people don't know his name. But I, I really do think there's tons of value at plus 175 here against Elijah Zaleski dos Santos. Totally fair. I like the play. Let's get to our parlay to play for the week because it's an interesting one. It's going to be taking two very solid favorites and Andre Petrovsky at minus 245 and Demir Ismagulov at minus 245. So both minus 245. Pair them together, though, and it's going to get you even money. So, uh, you know, very interesting odds on that. But two solid favorites, obviously, that you like very much and feel will go two and two, right? Yeah, I, I think they're easy ones, too. Uh, Andre Petrovsky is fighting Hu Yaozong, which, of course, he's doing it on short notice, which is probably the only reason he's not negative 500. Petrovsky trains with Sean Brady, is an amazing wrestler. We saw him on The Ultimate Fighter. He looks really great doing it. Hu Yaozong is two or three in two in his pro career, not in his UFC career, in his pro career. He's 0-2 in the UFC, and he's conceded every single takedown that's ever been shot on him. Why, why would you not take Andre Petrovsky at that kind of price? And then Demiris Magulov, I think people forget, 4-0 in the UFC, great takedowns, good kickboxer. I mean, he beat Tiago Moises, who, who you know, is a guy who's, you know, pretty highly touted. And Magomed Mustafaev got ragdolled by Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee took him down at will. And I think Demiris Magulov does the same thing here. So you get those two together, you get plus 100. And, not to brag or anything, but our plus 120 hit last week. So why not tail us on the plus 100? Hey, we're pretty good at what we do, and we'll be live tweeting during the show this Saturday at Top Turtle MMA. Come, join us. Let us know if you did you right. Let us know if you did you dirty in these picks. Gumby, you mentioned our dog of the week, uh, and I think he's going to come back in a big way on the show. Where are we going next? Yeah, we're actually going to transition now to my interview with Benoit Saint-Denis, who makes his debut from France via uh, Brave CF. He talks to me a little bit about fighting for Brave, how he gave him the confidence to get make his UFC debut. And he talks a little bit about being in the French Special Forces and how that led him back into the world of MMA. Really cool interview, and we hope you enjoy it right now. All right, and joining me now has Benoit Saint-Denis, who fights Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos at UFC 267. That fight is on October 30th. So, Benoit, I wanted to start by talking about you getting the call to be in the UFC because you actually just fought a couple of months ago at this time, at the time of us recording here. What was it like to get that phone call to, to finally be called up to, you know, the biggest show on earth? Uh, it, it's amazing, you know. I've been waiting for this. Uh, uh, so, uh, I know I'm the, uh, as being a replacement for the UFC. And... Um, I'm very happy uh, it's happening now, and uh, I'm getting ready, and I'm already uh, uh, on my way to be at 100% for, for the fight. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. Now, I'm curious, too, you know, you, you obviously said that you'd be ready, you know, at all times. It is a really quick turnaround for you, you know, being only two months away from your last fight for Brave. Was that ideal for you? Do you like to fight, you know, that close to your prior fight? Yeah, yeah, I love to fight, and I uh, my first year in mixed martial arts, uh, I, I fought uh, six times in eleven months, 
uh, when I started my career in uh, 2019. So I'm, I'm still very fresh in, in my career. I started uh, two and a half a year ago uh, as a professional and uh, signing with the UFC in this uh, little amount of time. Um, uh, it's because I, I have been very active. So I'm very proud of it and uh, I'm, I'm very happy uh, to fight uh, as often as I can. And, and yeah, I was going to ask you about that too. This is one of the fastest I've seen somebody go from a pro debut to being in the UFC. You know, you've only, like you said, you only turned pro in 2019. Do, do you feel like Brave has been a big part of making sure that you're ready for the UFC? Because obviously you face some very high level competition in Brave. Yes, of course, because Brave Combat Federation is one of the organizations in the inside the top 10 of the, the the mondial organization so of course i had the opportunity to fight very good opponent opponents there that were in the ufc or that have beaten guys uh, of the ufc and i was able to beat them and to finish them so it was big uh, uh, a big amount of confidence for me and a lot of experience because um, a fight like uh, like a guy like Luan santiago who was a, a former uh, brave champion and who beat uh, uh, Luca, Lucas Martins, who is uh, uh, also former brave champion, but also former UFC fighter. Um, it was a, a, lo a lot of amount of confidence for me uh, fighting uh, those caliber of guys. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome to hear. Now, I'm also curious because you you said you have been pro for you know just a little over two years now. You're only 25 years old, so it's not like you came to the sport late, but at 23 years old, you know, kind of breaking into the sport at that age, what what brought you to MMA? What made you decide this is when I'm going to turn pro? This is when I'm going to put, you know, six real quick fights on my record. I I started um, I started to 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 do combat sport in uh, in 2017 with BCG and uh, on boxing, on kickboxing. Uh, I was already, you know, um, I was in the French Special Forces for as, a, as an operator uh, for the SIS service, and uh, um, during that time, I wanted to test PGG um, to get back uh, back to to some um, uh, to some combat sport stuff because uh, I have been doing judo from eight to sixteen. And then I I did stop combat sport and I never put a, a feet in a dojo again. So I I was curious uh, about it. Um, once again, because my first dream was to be a special force operator, and uh, when this achievement was made, I, I was still uh, curious and wanted to to test something new. And you know, I started uh, right away competition after one week of practice of BGG, and uh, I I felt in love with it, and I also loved uh, uh, kickboxing. So. Um, End of 2018, I did one tournament uh, amateur in MMA because I was thinking, okay, no, I, I, I can do anything. What is the best thing to do to explore it all? It's to mix it. And if you mix uh, it all, it, it's MMA. And I won uh, my tournament, uh, my amateur tournament with a four fight um, in, in the night. And then uh, in, in the final, I had a, a pro opponent because it was in Spain, so uh, not a not a lot of legal uh, uh, problem there to fight. So the final was against a, a pro, pro investigator who was one zero, and I, I won against the guys uh, in the amateur tournament. So I was thinking to myself, okay, I, I love it. 
I love the cage, the feeling of the fight, and uh, I want to make a living out of it. I I love that story. Now I, I want to go back to what you said there because you had been training judo, you know, pretty much all through your youth, you know, from you know mm-hmm. a young age up to eighteen. You stopped to join the special forces. Did you feel like when you came back to you know MMA or jujitsu or, or kickboxing, did you feel like it all came back to you really easily, or did you feel did you feel really rusty about that? Did the did the training in the special forces keep your body you know ready and, and used to using those movements? So I, I was always in a in a good uh, physical physical shape, which uh, uh, led me to to do a lot of progress in a short amount of, amount of time because I was able to train a lot because my body was quite so, uh, at the age of 16, it was a recreational So, you know, I was once a week, all my youth, but still competing a lot. But, you know, um, I was not in, in the French team of judo or anything like that. I was just uh, enjoying it. But when I I, um, I started PGG, I felt in love with it and uh, Always, uh, my my first part in judo was always around even when I was young. So right away, I I felt co- comfortable. And after uh, after less than a month, I got my blue belt and I won a, a, a BGG uh, competition as a white, white belt. I got the blue belt and and I went on and on uh, uh, on bigger amateur stage for for BGG. Same with the kickboxing. Um, till I till I found the MMA, which was the the right thing for me. That's that's awesome to hear. Now I, I'm curious too because I want to hear a little bit about your training now that you are you know an MMA pro and that you are signed to the UFC. I, I see that you've been working you know obviously with a fight camp, but but I noticed Volkan Ozdemir in your fight camp with you. What has what it sort of been working like with a, with a guy who's been in that UFC title? And, and if he's given you any advice, can can you share that with us? Yeah, of course. Uh, I was a bit and a lot of experience. So I, I was asking him a, a question about the career, how it went on in the UFC. Um, to have some extra explanation. But um, it's very recent because of my head coach is Daniel Wuhan, who was five years with Anderson Silva, five years with Dan Anderson. Because three US belts, so uh, he did also the, the fight of the century, Fedor against Dan Anderson, putting uh, Anderson and uh, knocking out uh, Fedor. So uh, first man to Fedor as a coach. So he, he, he I'm happy because uh, he has all the experience to to keep my my head, uh, you know, cold uh, and to be ready for this occasion like any uh, usual occasion. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear as well. Now, I, I did want to ask, too, this is going to be, at least by my notice, you, you've tr- you fought all over Europe. You fought in Belgium and Sweden, and you've even fought in Bahrain and, and a whole bunch of other places. But this is going to be your first time coming to the United States to fight. Have you thought about this being that big travel and, and sort of what that will be like for you? Um, you know what? Uh, I find uh, it's gonna be, this one is going to be in Abu Dhabi, but... I know I will very soon fight in uh, in um, in America, so I think that we will need to go there early, so we can uh, get um, used to it and used to the difference of hour. Because of course it's not good to come five days uh, away from the competition. I 
Welcome. Ready for the fight. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I, I want to talk to you about your opponent here because you're fighting Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos, who is not the typical opponent you see somebody make their UFC debut against. He's a guy who at one point had won seven in a row. He was highly talked about as a possible, you know, contender in the division. What, what were your thoughts when they offered you him as your, your first opponent, just like you said before, two years into your pro career? Um, I'm a very happy man. <laughs> I'm a very happy man to have the, the opportunity to have a, a fight like that this early in my career. Um, I know it's going to be war because he's, he's ready in all compartments. I, I have seen him fight. Yeah, he's a good fighter. And, um, I expect uh, it to be a very violent show on on the 30th of October because uh, I'm there to 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 give war to him. <laughs> well, we certainly are looking forward to it. Now, before I let you go, I I do always like to ask every fighter I interview if you've got a prediction for the fight. How how do you see this one ending on October 30th? Um, I'm I'm training hard. I'm ready for war though. If he makes any mistakes, uh, he will pay pay for it. And um, I, I think it's going to be a violent fight anyway. But um, uh, I'm ready, so expect a, a victory from the God of War. <laughs> All right, we're here to hear first, fo- first, folks. This is Benoit Saint Denis who fights Elijah Zaleski dos Santos at UFC 267 on October 30th. Benoit, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, good night, and uh, um, hope uh, you can enjoy the fight to the 30th of October. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. And, of course, remind you guys to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those places. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.